Well, good morning, One Life Community Church. This is Rich, and it is a joy to be with you. Uh, I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and I just got a note from my daughter that the link on the One Life Online page for our youth wasn't updated, and it should be now. So you're going to need to refresh that page and click on the video link, and it should be fine. If you're not sure what that link is, it's onelifeseattle.org backslash online dash church. Scroll down, find the mix, click on that video. It should be the updated one for now. And uh, thank you, Gladys, for letting me know. Hopefully the rest is all up to date. This is live and kind of happening in the moment. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for being the church outside of a building, which is true of us all the time, but it's just a tangible thing we're feeling right now. It's so great to see all of your comments on our live feed. We'd love to see photos of you or videos of you enjoying the service online. Um, Just a way to create community even in a distance. Uh, Today we are diving into week five of our Lenten sermon series entitled, This Must Be Stronger Than That. And as a quick review, the title of this series comes from a quote from famous pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Nice and loud in your house, let's say Bonhoeffer. He lived uh, during the time of World War II, and as a way to combat Hitler and the Nazi movement, Bonhoeffer started this secret seminary for people who take the gospel seriously as a countercultural community for Jesus. They believed Christians could stand firm against the pressures of the day by committing to certain practices in order to follow Jesus no matter the cost. And as you can imagine, this took serious commitment. But some thought these practices required too much commitment, too much sacrifice. And as the story goes, one of Bonhoeffer's friends came to visit and suggested he tone it down a bit. And so Bonhoeffer takes him out on a boat, rows across this river, takes him to this hill at the top of it where they could see this Nazi training camp in the distance with fighter planes and soldiers preparing for battle. He points at the secret school and then points at Hitler's troops and weapons and all that's amassing and in kind of this prophetic voice of contrast Bonhoeffer says this must be stronger than that and by that he's referring to this being the ways of God and our commitment to living out our faith in Jesus needs to be stronger than that referring to the discipline and the ways of the world around us see Bonhoeffer believed that as Christians our commitment to follow the ways of Jesus in our day-to-day life should cause those who don't believe in God to question their unbelief that we're to be ambassadors of the gospel and the love and grace of God for all people. And this fits perfectly with the season and practice of Lent, because if you remember, the word Lent literally means springtime. And so if we think about the process of a flower growing, without that full process of what happens below the ground during the winter and all the hard work the seeds go through, the flowers can't develop and flourish as they should, which is why Lent is meant to be the church's springtime. A time when out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. An empowered people emerges. So each week of this series, we've looked at different practices designed to engage God more in our daily life. And the hope is that our actions would invite others to see the beautiful effects of the gospel expressed in the spirit-empowered people that are living in their community. And the reality is, uh, 
this is important for us to see right now. We need some of these examples because our culture is in a changed kind of environment. Our COVID-19 pandemic has challenged all of our comforts and commitments in so many ways. It feels like moment by moment. And I, I don't know about you, um, but I'm exhausted. Be it work, a stress, what feels like constant changes, trying to get things done when it feels like a few minutes. Um, all of this plus trying to be uh, committed to being present to my family. So this idea of commitment being stronger than comfort is hard. It's been hard just to think about. And just to put words to that has been a challenge to say the least. So I think it's only fitting that we start with a word of prayer. So for a time to worship, to sing songs in your goodness, in your grace, in your faithfulness. We thank you that you are a God of commitment. Recognize our need for you. And we call upon you and we ask that you be with us. Help. We pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Stronger than comfort. And so the question I have for you is that hearing these two words, commitment and comfort, to have a more positive feel around it. Because it's interesting to think about these two words because these days the word commitment can bring up... And there's a siren going by. You guys can probably hear. It's very slow. It's changed a lot in our culture over the last couple hundred centuries. You see, 200 years ago, people lived super close to one another, often in tribes or villages. They shared resources, uh, often a family business. You stayed close. Everyone worked hard to get by, and everyone was relationally dependent on each other in very real ways. And almost everyone made things. Literally, their food, and then also in the community. If you wanted bread, you'd go to the bakery. If you needed to have some fruit, you'd go to the fruit stand. But with the Industrial Revolution, production moved out of the home and into offices because those became less and less common. We became more urbanized of our family. And now in a post-industrial time, many of us don't even more disconnected from our family and community than ever before in history. In our day-to-day -day life, we generally see ourselves as consumers in thin communities. And so we should talk about these. A thin, so they're, they're not true communities, but they're surrounded by events like term commitments marked by the giving up of rights and services. Two centuries, we've shifted to having less and less thick communities to almost on game day for the Sounders, people all around our city get their Sounders gear on. Way to the train and you get on. Everyone's wearing their gear. Everybody's feeling people. Everyone is there for the same reason. A mutual love for the team, for the with people. You're talking to people you don't even know. Seat every single game and basically experience the exact same thing with complete. Whereas not long ago, people were known through close family relational and locational spheres for general investment. And so, for example, you probably by now know who this person is. It's Tony. Hey, Tony. And uh, he's the director of the Nashes, a position he's held for the last 36 years. He's also the lead of the White House. That means he's super legit. And uh, what's common, you may not be people because their family history tells us something about a person. Grandfather was from Shaka, Sicily, 
which is the same as my great-grandfather. And according to my great-uncle Joe, the Fauci family used to live next. And on top of that, Tony's aunt apparently worked at my great-uncle. This is a picture of it. While Tony's parents ran this. So they're just a few blocks away from each other and living next door to them in a family business. He lived in this very close-knit family in a strong, relationally connected community. They all are stories and experiences of leaving a country to get to the U.S., to make something of themselves, to root themselves, and to be present. They were hard workers. They offered something to the community for generations, in this case, a pharmacy. And that's where you would go anytime you in the neighborhoods and people knew each other. Which is why my family, you just hearing the word start. My father, for example, was born and raised on 73rd. And my grandmother was born and raised on 77th. They got married and lived in the same house on 75th till they died. Never living outside of a four block radius for over 80 plus. Back 100, 200 years ago, people, families, uh, communities, they knew each other. They relied on each other. And they were committed to promise or a commitment to anything, it meant something. In fact, back then, one of the primary ways you were known was by your work, that you were trustworthy, that your promises and commitments were uh, real. These are examples of thick communities. Now, I bring this up because these are just illustrations of how we have moved from thinking with a we and us mentality, primarily seen as consumers driven by our individual preferences and what makes them to how we order coffee. Everything is geared towards our personal preferences. And so the question is, what have we lost as a result of this cultural shift? And to help us get at this, I want us to look at the effects of a comfort-based society. The first thing we see with regards to a comfort-based society is a lack of based on our desires, our wants, our interests, our needs, and we have very few long-term relationships. And so this in itself is guided by their self and what they want. Another example of where we already talked about in this series, but whenever we face conflict, we easily leave and avoid the situation because it's uncomfortable when things get tough. And all of this together makes for a lack of stability. Along with that, in comfort-based societies, we see an increasing amount of isolation. It's pretty obvious, but the more we move away from we to I, the more isolation we feel in our relationships. A recent study by the BBC of 55 found that the 16 to 24-year-olds experience loneliness more intensely than any other age group. The older the demographic, the, the less real relationships they have. Why? Because most of their relationships are thin relationships. They're relationships that happen through screens, through social media, and they're not based on commitment. Now, a third thing we see in these comfort-based societies is a loss of freedom. And this initially sounds a little odd because we kind of think about, I get to do whatever I want. I get to choose how I want to be. And so that feels like freedom. But the problem with this is, is that you can only make a choice in the moment based on whatever you feel like. So in other words, you're basically governed by fate and your bodily functions. So you, you had a bad day, and as a result, you want blank. But real freedom is that actually no matter what happens, you will do 
blank. That you will choose to do this and be this person no matter what. It's freedom above your circumstances. But when it's comfort-based, we're all completely driven by our circumstances. And right now, our COVID-19 pandemic is highlighting this. Every circumstances of our world right now are dramatically affecting our comforts and our choices, and so we feel trapped. And it's hard. Now, the last thing we see that happens in these comfort-based experiences is that people have pretty unknown identities. Choosing in the moment. And so as a simple example, I'm a total Seahawks fan while they have an awesome season. But when they start losing intensity or rootedness to who we are, as things can change all the time. And so this causes us to have unknown, ever-changing identities based on what we like or dislike at any moment. And this affects every So you go to work, and the people at work know you as blank. And you come home, and you're as blank. And you go to church, and you're known as blank. And you're in your neighborhood walking your dog, and you're known as blank. And so it's as if we have multiple personalities and identities, all of which could change at any time for any reason you want. Now, in contrast at what commitment-based societies do, because that will be a helpful way for us to contrast these. So, commitment-based relationships in societies, the first thing, they have a lot of stability. You make decisions and plans based on how our own and other people's promises have been. So, for example, we get into our car that we bought expecting it to start and get us where we need to be because there's this commitment we entered into with the car company where they say this is going to happen and we put our trust in them. And so based off that, we can make plans. They're based on commitments and promises. And when you think about it, pretty much everything in life that creates any stability is based on promises and commitments and people following through on those promises and commitments. Lewis Smee, in an article in Christianity Today called Controlling the Unpredictable, talks about commitment, noting that when we make commitments, we make unseen ties of loyalty to one another. We stick with those we are stuck with and that we can be counted on no matter what. So even when everything around you feels unstable, you have created a sanctuary of trust for that relationship in a jungle of unpredictability. Friends, it feels like we're living in a jungle of unpredictability right now. Now, the second thing we get in a commitment-based society is really strong intimacy. Because it's in these relationships and consistency and presence no matter what. Again, comparing comfort-based societies to intimacy. Because you can't depend on others in any way. G.K. Chesterton says it like this, a promise then is the human essence of freedom after the style of God. It is your freedom to be there when someone, even though you can't tell what being there is going to be like for them. And this is something we see in couples when they get married. They're making right for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, good times and bad, sickness and in the future, the two will remain married. They could move radically, anything. That's the commitment you're saying you're going to stick. 
that I'll be loved and walked with and supported and have someone who will be present with me always, which makes for real last thing commitment-based relationships bring us, and that is a strong identity. We know someone as the same person today as she or he was yesterday by the promises that person made yesterday. The ones who belong to me and depend on me. Promise-making tells I love that. Promise-making tells us who we are in our life together with others. So when I married my wife, Jen, I took on a new identity, right? I became a husband. And I have this identity because I made a promise and commitment that I've kept and will keep because it's a huge accomplishment. And what's happened over that 50 years is that they stayed constantly. So for example, even in my marriage, we've moved to multiple different houses over our marriage. We've lived in different neighborhoods. We've, we've been a part of different church communities. We've had two kids. We've dealt with illnesses. We got a dog. Our preferences and opinions about things have changed over time. You name it. Through it all, though, my identity as husband has never changed. It has remained constant. Now, with that, let's pause for a moment. As nice as this all sounds, it's not easy. It's really hard, and there's a lot of risk involved. And let's face it, marriages these days are not good examples for us because one out of every two end in divorce. We also have to recognize we carry a fear of abandonment and a fear of broken covenants. And that's because most of us have grown up in broken families or at least surrounded by them. We don't grow up seeing lots of amazing examples of promises and commitments that have lasted, right? And let's not ignore the fact that we've also seen people in authority fail us over and over again, be it political scandals, sexual scandals, in and out of the church or in and out of schools, Famous people making really bad choices, people using their influence and power for the wrong things. I mean, why trust anyone? But the truth is that living comfort-based lives, we have no stability, we have no real freedom in our decisions, we become very isolated and never get to experience community and intimacy. And in many ways, these realities are being highlighted in all of us right now because of this pandemic. We feel stuck. We feel isolated. We feel a lack of stability. We feel no freedom. And we're missing intimacy. I hope that you see and feel that this is not how it should be. Now, going back to the idea of Lent real quick, we actually need to be committed to go through the hard parts of life to go through the difficulties of relationship and sacrifice in order to truly flourish. And Jesus, our perfect example, lives out the idea of commitment being stronger than comfort. And thank, can you imagine if God just does everything God wants based on any given moment and what makes him comfortable? I mean, God has all power. He could just say, do over whenever God wanted, just like that. God could say, man, did I blow it with making pineapple and just rid the world. And to me, I say, dear God, make it so, right? Uh, you should see, this is just in case you weren't sure how to eat pineapple pizza. I wanted to give you an instructional video. Um, so you just cut it and then just throw it straight into the garbage. 
what if God did that with anything in the moment he was not happy with? God could be like, unicorn, and boom, now we're surrounded by unicorns, right? God could totally run the world based on comfort and preference, but God doesn't. God does so through promises and makes promises in advance and keeps those promises no matter what, even when people that God makes those promises with don't keep their end of the deal, which means that God has experienced all the feelings of loss and disappointment and abandonment and betrayal and yet stays faithful no matter what. God never gives up on any promise or commitment he's made. And this tells us something about the character of God. We learn that God is faithful, that God keeps his word, that when God says he'll do something, we can know it will happen. We can say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever because the promises God made yet. And God does this for individuals, for people groups, and he does this for everyone for generation upon generation and will continue to do so for eternity. Amen? Deuteronomy 7, 9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him does. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, what you're going to see is it is just a series of covenants over and over again. God keeps, God doesn't destroy it. Rather, God makes a covenant with Eve saying out of the, the enemy will be defeated. You jump ahead to Noah after the flood and God makes a covenant that God will never wipe out the earth again like that. Later, we get look of these covenants and promises and commitments over and over again in the Bible. And so we could say that God loves making promises, that we have a covenant-keeping God. And not only that, of God. And when we take communion like we did, whether you did that with bacon or fruit roll, new covenant relationship we have with God through the work of Christ on the cross. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus also promises to return to make all things. This is the example we're to live out in our day-to-day life as Christ followers. Remain faithful to, including the work of the cross and the resurrection. And grace for all humanity remains true of God in our relationship with God. If Jesus was just about comfort and preference, this is not how he was mocked, was beaten, was spat on, stripped, nailed to the cross, and killed on in this. Now, we're talking about this because God invites us into covenantal relationship. It's like a proposal. God is saying he in relationship with us. And just like a marriage we commit to, it's saying you. This is why in Deuteronomy 6.5, it says marriage proposal language. So in saying yes, sacrifices to be faithful for the sake of the relationship. It's, but rather, in this committed relationship, we have a new identity that stays us. We're no longer isolated or ever alone. We have someone who always has our flourishing as our first priority, and our future is now secure. And that's something, I don't know about you, but I've been longing to feel more and more of. So today, a good question for us to be thinking about is do you see yourself in a covenantal, committed relationship with God? Or is it more based on comfort?
This is what I've been challenged with. And maybe the flip side is also important. Do you realize that God's fully committed to you? 100%. Now, as we end, how do we apply this? I mean, in a culture driven by comfort, how do we imitate God in the way God makes promises and keeps them? In the way God risks? Easy to answer. But the way I want to get at this today is just to give us some things. So if you don't have something to write with, I'd recommend you maybe pulling out something to write down these three questions and you could be thinking about them and I'll kind of break it down for you. But let's, let's do some self-reflecting as we answer this question. First thing I want you to think about is how you view your relationship with God. And with God, you are motivated out of favor to be earned. You're doing things to try to get it. You're relationally insecure. And so that makes you uncomfortable. And so you try to do things to make yourself feel. God gets limited access to you, whatever you feel like. And there's this sense when you part, God owes you something. But in a commitment-driven relationship with God, it comes out of God's favor. We've experienced something of God's love and we want to return it. We feel secure in God's love and so we can rest in it and we have no problem giving God all of me because we know God is faithful. How am I doing in my relationship with God? And if I'm being honest in all these questions, you're going to find yourself noting how you have been comfort driven is that we all are capable of shifting. So that's with regards to your relationship with God. The second thing I want you to be thinking about, if we're viewing the church in a comfort-driven mindset, what happens is that we come based on our preferences. And so we get this idea of church shopping. What do we like? What do we don't like? And we make a decision. We come to get what we want, right? We are consumers. And so we're, it's comfort-driven when we come when we want. The average attendance in church nationwide now is two or three out of eight Sundays. That's what's considered regular attendance. I come when I want. Comfort-driven, when there's, there's problems going on, there's difficulties, we leave. When we show up, we tend to hang out with people we're similar to. And when we come in a comfort-driven mentality, it's about I and me. Now contrast that to commitment-driven, it makes it pretty clear. I come based on God's calling. I feel sent. I come to give what I have. And that looks like service, whatever it is. I come no matter what, out of love. Not just because of what I want. When there's difficulties, I stay present and press into change. I value diversity, not just skin color or ethnicity, but differences in theological dialogue and feelings about who God is, or or even being with people who completely think differently than me. And when I come in a comfort-driven mindset, it's about us. It's about we. It's about being one body. Behind me, I have a giant sign that says one. It's a reminder that we are all one in Christ. It's a we. It's an us. It's not I and me. Acts 2.42 and some other scriptures hit on this, but there's a couple good ones. 2.42 says this, They devoted a bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they committed to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Later in Acts 4.32, it says, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. 
Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another. One in 1 Peter 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. These are just a bunch of texts that give us some examples, but in short, being a Christ follower is about being devoted to one another in caring for, praying for, eating, worship, meeting needs, you name it. It's a fully interconnected, committed, relational community. And this COVID-19 pandemic has been pushing us as a church, which is really hard and really good. What I've seen is that in many ways, church as we have grown to know it isn't right. In many ways, I believe we've been missing out on all God has for us because of our comfort-based thinking. Just as an example, why does it take a pandemic for us to care groups? Now again, I think we had a reason for creating them and it makes sense and it was out of love and grace and care, but these could have happened before. But they require time. They require effort. They require calling and emails and Zoom meetings and you name it. And the truth is, our comfort level that kind of stuff. We want our own space. And this is just one example of how I think we viewed church out of comfort versus commitment, and we need to continue to listen to God and rethink this more. I think we're going to find in this season that we're in how often we are driven by our comfort. Now, one last category to think about is our relationship with others, because it's not just about us and us Christians. It's about us and everyone. And so how do you view your relationships with others? If it's comfort-oriented, it's going to be self-focused. It's going to be built on shared interest. You're going to leave when there's conflict. It's going to be very transient. Uh, and the love that you have is going to wane with time. But when you view relationships out of commitment, you're going to find yourself being other-focused. You're going to be building trust over time because it's a long-term relationship. And that when things get difficult, you're going to press through for the hope of unity. It's stable because there's trust. And the love that you have for each other grows with time. So how are you in your relationship with others? Now, there's so much more I could say about this, um, but I hope at the very least as we end, you hear an invitation. I hope God is inviting you to rethink how you see and experience people in your community, people in your church, people in your family, how you view the commitments in your marriage, in your work, in your school, on your team, you name it. Because this, this idea that I think Bonhoeffer is pressing us for this being stronger than that, for commitment being stronger than comfort, comes with an invitation for us to do. So I hope you hear an invitation towards commitment. And as you do, I pray that God will reveal to you ways to live this out in your day-to-day life, especially in these days to come, because we all could use some more committed relationships. And before we end, I just want to say how proud I am of you, One Life, the way you've been calling and and serving and bringing meals and and resources and checking in with one another. I'm I'm blown away that we're still out there every Monday night giving food to our neighbors in Magnuson Park and building relationships. Uh, going to our local coffee shops and stay afloat. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, and I know it's not easy. And I know we're all exhausted. And I, wanna, I just want to inviting us into something even more. With that, I'd like to invite Brian to come back and uh, play a little bit instrumentally for us to give us some space to ponder what we've discussed. I want to invite you about your community. Think about your relationships, your commitments, and where you lack commitment. Use this to ask God to join you in listening to the invitations that God is giving you and anything we can do on our own. And thank God we do not have to.
So as Brian comes up, feel free to use the space to build, to dream, uh, whatever you need to feel called to in this time, do that. And I also want to note that if you'd like prayer for any reason, I want to remind you that our prayer apps, prayer requests, um, it's also linked on our online page. Um, if you submit a prayer request right now and you say you want to be, con- they will contact you in the order of which it was received. I'm going to close us in prayer, and uh, Brian will give us some space to reflect, and then we'll join together with one love. Spirit, I thank you for your goodness, for your grace. I thank you that uh, you are faithful. That in all the difficulties of life, the things and the struggles that we have, the places where we feel um, lost, you are present with us. That your commitment never changes. We thank you that uh, you uh, empower us to be your ambassadors. And we thank you for that because this kind of commitment is not something we can do on our own. But we pray that you give us grace for one another, that you would uh, be with our heart and to be present with one another as we are in the situation. And I pray that you give us creativity and vision for how we can be the church in the day-to-day life of our community, in our family, in our workplace, in our home, in our schools. Uh, yeah, help us to be that uh, for your glory. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.